This is the place I want to be. So I hope they draft me. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Today's show also brought to you in part by Hotels.com and by Grip6 Belts. We are going to be looking at the NBA draft, the first in a series of podcasts leading up to the NBA draft. We're going to be covering a bunch of prospects, not all prospects in today's show because we're going to have other guys on to talk about other players, get some multiple views across guys. So today, we are bringing on uh, Draft Guru, co-founder of The Stepian, and that is, of course, Cole's Wicker. You may remember Cole on last year's show as we went over the 2018 NBA Draft, and Cole is back to talk about this 2019 NBA Draft. So let's bring him in again now for this year. Cole Zwicker is here to talk about the 2019 NBA Draft. Cole, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. It seems like forever. I can't believe we're basically a little bit over a week away from the draft. It really came up quick this year. It always appears to me that it just always feels like it's four or five days earlier every year. Like I remember two, three years ago, it was on about the 30th of June, and now we're at like the, what, the 19th or 20th of June that's at this year. Do they feel like it just keeps bringing forward and forward? There's such a big gap between that and the start of free agency. Absolutely. I feel bad for teams like the Warriors and the Raptors. I mean, who knows if that game goes seven or not, but... It, they just have such a short time span to really start prepping for the draft. It's pretty crazy that turnaround time. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really, a, it is really a quick, quick changeover between the end of the season. I think yeah, if it goes seven, what they got two days or three days until the NBA draft. So it is, it is pretty crazy. We're going to talk about some of these prospects with you today, Cole. Everyone knows who you are and and, and what you do. We're going to talk not not about everyone because we're going to split up these prospects because there's a ton of guys to talk about. But just as a general overall feel with this class, we've been hearing for a while it's a it's a weaker class. To me, it feels a little bit like the the 2016 class where there's no real elite top end talent outside of Zion, and then there's you know, gaps to the next guys. But really, there's you could throw a blanket over you know 20 guys between the 10 and 30 range, and it all comes down to which guy you're looking for. 2016, the year where Malcolm Brogdon came out and won Rookie of the Year. And you get those steady rotation players rather than the best or second best player on a high-end team. Yeah, that's absolutely, I think, the right way to look at this class. I kind of used it in relation to last year, which, of course, last year was kind of an outlier positive class. But those tier two guys, like a Jaron Jackson, I had a lone tier two. Trey Young was like right on his tail for that. And those guys would be easily the second best player in, or second best prospect in this class. I don't have a tier two prospect in this class. So that just kind of gives you some context. I think you can make an argument, frankly, that in 2018, maybe eight, nine or ten of those guys had arguments as number two in this class. So it's that might be a little bit of a contrarian opinion but that's just what i believe as far as looking at these guys it's hard to see the realizable upside with a lot of these prospects yeah that's exactly how i feel about it as well is these guys that are going to push into the number two and number three spots and number four and you know onwards in this draft would have maybe struggled for top 10 it has very much a clear feeling to me of reminiscent of say when chris dunn went at number five a few years ago but if he had have gone in the next draft he would have gone at number 15 and people go but he was a number five draft pick but it's all 
very relative as to as to who's picking it and which other guys are in that draft. And I think we might get a little bit of that happening in this group of, of players. So it is worth uh, worth noting that. And yeah, draft position every year does not equal the same thing. The number two pick this year is not the same as the number two pick last season or the year before. It is all very relative. And uh, we're going to get into that now. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about, about Zion. Cole, what I want to talk to you is about a bunch of these guys in that three to five range to start off with. And let's talk about Texas Tech's Jarrett Culver, who uh, is a sophomore who had struggled a little bit at the end of the season in, in the NCAA tournament. But there's you know, talk about him potentially going at four, five, six in that sort of a range. Um, in terms of Culver and his strengths and weaknesses, he handled the ball off at Texas Tech. Is that something that he's going to be able to do in an NBA environment? I think definitely, I shouldn't say definitely, but it's a, with his range of outcomes as more of a secondary creator type. I think he's capable of being a dribble pass shoot guy. He's shown, you know, volume ability to hit shots off the dribble. It looks awkward. His mechanics are kind of, I mean, they're really unique to him. I don't think I've ever seen mechanics quite like his. Almost seems to shoot on the way down at times. Uh, very high release angle, but he can really shoot over the top of guys. Like he had no problem shooting over RJ in space. So I think you will see a little secondary creation. His feel is his greatest strength. He just really knows how to play basketball. He executed that scheme incredibly well as far as Texas Tech funneling to the baseline, to their bigs. So you might see him open up a little bit early instead of staying in his stance all the time as far as walling guys off. But that's mostly part of the scheme. So I think he plays both sides of the floor. His defense is really underrated to me. Um, he plays bigger than his 195-pound frame. I think he's going to be stronger than that. He just plays above that size. So I like his in theory two-way ability there's just a ton of shot variance with him and he's not someone who's like a crazy athlete his first step is actually pretty average he doesn't get that kind of separation in his first step his acceleration is decent um and i think he has good body control he's very flexible so you can see him like adjust ha have a couple finishes that way also you see that in his fadeaway jump shot but i i do get the reservations i mean the, the shooting is not about to come but you have to contextualize roles too like his freshman year he was able to play more off the ball defend point of attack around other ball handlers like Keenan Evans last year. Zaire Smith, of course, was almost a lottery pick. This year you saw him cast as more of a primary, and he struggled with efficiency, especially down the stretch. So th that is definitely real. Like, he did struggle against NBA athletes. Like Duke, for example, he struggled to turn the corner at times. Those are real question marks. In terms of just him as a, not conjure, that's the wrong word, but almost a uh, an example for the rest of this draft class. It just shooting does appear to be a weakness for a bunch of these guys at the top. Just even by looking at people's free throw percentages, so many guys who are like low seventies, high sixties, as opposed to you know, high seventies and eighties, and those guys who can be really strong free throw shooters, they, they tend to stand out. And there's just so many guys, and that we know that there has been correlation between three point percentage and free throw percentage. There's so many guys who just seem to be poor free throw shooters coming out. Yeah, exactly right. And we also have that intersection with dicey shooters and non-elite athletes. And you look at a lot of the wing players, the best wing players in the league, usually those guys are either really great athletes and, and awesome pull-up shooters. So that's kind of why I think a lot of people are down on these guys. The, the wings, especially at the top, is because we don't have these elite athletes. And the shooting is not a clear projection. Like, I think these guys, like RJ's, I think he's better off the catch and he gets credit for. Um, I think Culver, if you gave him easier looks his sophomore year, his shooting numbers might look a little bit different. His free throw percentage did vault a little bit, and he has overhauled his mechanics a little bit. So if you if you watch him his freshman year, much more of that left shot line. So he really brings the ball in exaggerated fashion up the left side of his body, kind of like Lonzo Ball, and would like kind of whip it across his face. We don't see that same effect this year. So he did improve in that capacity, but they are by no means, Culver's by no means like a guarantee to shoot. 
don't forget to subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Basketball by downloading the new Himalaya podcast app. It's free. It's super easy to use. You have the ability to go on there and follow your favorite creators, like and comment on individual episodes. So download the Himalaya podcast app and follow Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Let's talk about a guy who is you know, in that similar range, and that is RJ Barrett. We hear today about the Knicks appearing to lock in on him and him appearing to lock in on the Knicks, not wanting to take workouts with other teams, yeah, playing that 2-3 you know, type of position, in, in a way similar to, to Culver, a guy that handled the ball, made some uh, you know, baffling shot choices during his time at, at Duke. Uh, and again, the shooting w- was really poor there. Out of those two guys, who do you have as a, as a better prospect, I guess? I, I think probably Culver just because I think you're getting a lot more upside defensively and realizable upside. Like I think that he's much safer to value Culver is as far as his intelligence and his foot speed, just a much better off ball defender. Like RJ has the on ball defense, but he's not like a crazy athlete and we just did not see really any playmaking from RJ off the ball. And that might speak to some feel for the game. So uh, I think I go Culver just because I trust his decision making more. That's something I didn't really mention before is like, it kind of ties in with feel like he can really read the floor. Culver does probably better than like a lot of point guards in this class. Like he's better at seeing the floor than a Garland or a Kobe white. So I like that element of the game and his decisions just, he plays more team basketball. Like you noted, RJ's a pretty good passer when he wants to be. Like he can make reads and pick and roll, but there's so much drive and kick where he just drives into three guys in the lane and there's wide open kickouts, wide open drop offs, and he misses them because he's not the most willing passer. Just quickly back to, to Cole before I go back to Barrett. To me, and this is from watching you know, much less film on him than what you have, he gives me a, a marginal sort of Troy Brown impression from last season as that bigger guy who can run an offense at times and, and can pass well, but has issues with that shot. Or is he more of an, a more dynamic offensively than what Troy Brown was? I get why you'd say that. I think Culver is a better athlete than Brown. He moves better laterally. His first step is even better. Like Brown, a good field guy, but he almost had no burst, no yeah. acceleration. Culver beats him there. So I think Culver has advantages as far as athletically. I think he's just a more flexible athlete. Brown, for me, was kind of hunched over. He didn't really have the quickness. But I, but as far as like being kind of like a, a secondary ball handler who has some feel and athletic limitations, I think that I can see the argument being made. But again, I just think that Culver's a better athlete. When I'm looking at these guys in terms of fantasy projections for next season and the season seasons in advance, are guys like Ann Culver and Barrett haven't translated all that well at this point. But let, let's talk a little bit here about RJ. There's been some word that Memphis, you know, they initially were really high on Jar Moran and they're locking in there, then you're sort of stepping that back a bit. Is there any way that you could see Barrett being that guy just based on upside, you know, being you know, younger than what Morant is, going in that higher spot, or he just doesn't have that sort of upside for some of the issues we've talked about already? Yeah, for me personally, I don't think he has that kind of upside. I'm not really sure if Morant's upside is like that realizable, but it's more possible for him, in my opinion, than it is for RJ. So is it possible that he gets inter- he gets actual real looks at two? Perhaps. I think that would be more likely in like a trade down a spot or two. I think that would be the play for Memphis if they were going to go that route. If they stay at two, I think Morant. But it really just goes, does come down to like what you think RJ's upside is. A lot of people have said, primary creator potentially I I don't know if his pull-ups ever going to be to that level he's just not a very fluid he's not a fluid athlete he's a little bit stiff as far as how he moves he's more of a power player so he he doesn't have a lot of shake or a lot of shiftiness he relies more on on bully ball using his body to create separation his shot to me isn't super functional like as far as he doesn't shoot these you know fadeaways like Culver does he can't really bend like that he's more of like a step back guy and he just doesn't have the level of touch 
or the, or the comfort, the confidence yet to really execute that. So I, I you know, you get some people as well that say James Harden. I mean, if RJ wasn't left-handed, I don't think you'd ever get that comparison. <laughs> that's, frankly, that's what I was just like, going to say. <laughs> There's no way like, yeah, that that so is just I, about being left-handed. Yeah, so I, I think that it kind of comes down to the eye of the beholder a little bit, but it's pretty hard to make a credible argument that RJ has this like enormous upside. I think the argument coming into the season, honestly, was his floor was high just because he was a playmaking wing, could dribble pass, shoot, make decisions. We don't know about the shot variance, but I, I don't really see that upside with him. The other thing to note with Barrett as well, his defensive skills or defensive stats were really low, like really low steal rate, really low block rate. And that's uh, that's not a great yep. thing for, for future fantasy value. But also, yeah, a lot of these guys can get you know, really high numbers in college. And he was you know, 0.9 steals, 0.4 blocks for a wing. Those numbers are, aren't really acceptable in that sort of area. And that limits his overall fantasy value as opposed or not even talking about his NBA real life value. So that, that is something to, to pay attention to. But I want to talk about a guy that you are you know, pretty excited to talk about now, Cole. And that is Brandon Clark, uh, a guy. Well, this, tell me, what, tell me why you like this guy so much. Yeah, I mean, you you start with what do we have in this class as far as elite level skills? I don't know if we really have any. What we have are some elite level functional athletes. Zion, of course, is in his own stratosphere as far as like speed to power, explosion, and all of that. But Brandon Clark is a really, really high level functional athlete. I don't think he gets enough credit for how coordinated he is. Like, he's very explosive. But it's more like quickness off the ground, quick reaction time. He's incredibly fluid. Um, not as a ball handler, he's more rigid in that way. But as like a run and jump athlete and as far as lateral agility, all of that. He was like – I think I pulled information on the combine that he was – him and Joel Ballenboy were the only two six foot eight players or above in the history of the combine that tested in the 90th percentile in all of like Max Vert. I'm um, standing vert and lean agility, which is crazy when you think about it. Like, and it's all functional with him. Like, you see it all on the floor. His ability to change directions. He was incredibly productive. You're going to hear a lot of people, you know, cite BPM and how he was second to Zion and like the history of the stat. And yeah. if you watch college basketball this year, like he was that damn good. Like he's really, really good defensively, and he's a play finisher. He's got incredible touch, and that's kind of where you see the divergence between. You know, our site, the Stepien, we're higher on his shooting potential because of that touch. And he's someone who really overhauled mechanics. Like, if you watch him as freshman and sophomore years, he had, like, a shot from the side of his shoulder. It was one of the most bizarre forms I've ever seen. And the fact that he can actually, like, credibly shoot a shot now, I, I just think speaks to his work ethic. So he's older. He's going to be 23 by the start, start of the season. But he's going to perform defensively. I'm not super worried about him. He's going to be awesome, I think, as a backline defender. Offensively, it's going to come down to a little bit of fit. You're going to have to find – that's the case with some of these players in this, in this class because they're dependent players. You have to find them situations where they can thrive. But I think in Clark's range, talking about like Atlanta, Minnesota, Boston, I think those are all really good fits for him. So you mentioned that yeah, in terms of size and and how, how he's not yeah, prototypical seven-footed. Is he able to play at that center position in the NBA consistently? I don't think so. Not in the regular season, at least. You have to kind of downsize to play him there. He's not going to have the power and the frame and the reach to really guard these behemoth centers. And I don't know if you can really get it back on the other end. Maybe if he goes to the Hawks, for example, and it's kind of like him and John Collins interchangeably, you might be able to get it back offensively. But I don't think he's – you don't want him taking that that pounding. It's kind of like Draymond. He does, he's not going to play center during the regular season, and Draymond's way stronger than Clark is. He's got way bigger frames. So he's more of like – I think he can in backup units. There's going to be some times where he can play the small ball five. But I think you have to view him more as an NBA four, and that kind of triggers the fit with someone like Carl Anthony Towns, for example. 
the I was going to talk to you about the shooting and the age, but you've already touched on those couple of things. But I've gone through and done about 110 prospects here in terms of translating stats across, and he comes out as the number one guy in in just in terms of you know, raw stats. If everyone was playing the same minutes because of the steal rate, because of the block rate, he rebounds well, uh, high field goal percentage, pretty strong free throw percentage. In fact, he's a guy that's had a better free throw percentage than guys like Barrett and guys like Zion and and Jar- uh, Jarrett Colvey is a little bit uh, lower there. And Culver, but up at that 70% for a guy who is you know, blocking, who blocked over three shots per game in college and got over a steal per game and averaged 17 and eight and a half in only 28 minutes. Like these are really, really strong numbers. Yeah, averaging those sort of block numbers, playing at the four in the NBA is going to be a little bit more of a challenge for him. But he's not just about being a rim protector, is he? No, no, no. He's definitely versatile. He can really get out and switch. Um, his agility is fantastic. He moves. He has that twitch. He, he's just a really high-level athlete. We're talking like elite-level athlete in the history of uh, of prospects generally. Um, of course, the measurements aren't great. Uh, six, eight, six, eight and a half wingspan, eight, six standing reach. Those are shooting guard numbers. That's basically Clay Thompson. Yep. Um, Clay Thompson was also like 209 pounds. Brian Clark was like 207, I think, at the combine. So, but but he's very versatile. I think that he's going to be able to. It's not just about backline rim protection. He's he's going to be able to switch. You're going to trust him to communicate. He's very good at that. As far as I really look at that for prospects, is do you know what you're doing on the floor? Do you react quickly? Um, he's going to be able to communicate and maybe even quarterback a defense. He's wired to make the right play. He's wired to play winning basketball. And I think that that is kind of what separates him in this class. Let's move uh, overseas or overseas from you because this is all overseas for me. But let's move over to Europe to the big Georgian Gogo Bidadze, who um, has is uh, really interesting to me. Uh, I talked on Locked On NBA uh, yesterday about him potentially looking you know, to go to Atlanta in the pick 10 or pick 17 in that sort of a range. How yeah, he's put up some really historic type of numbers over there in in Europe with his ability he can step out and hit the three he can block shots he's he's a is it we talk about you know Clark being a, a undersized center like Bidatse is a, is a, is a pretty large man so how does he translate across defensively there are some significant concerns with his ability to move his feet on the perimeter but rim protection shooting um you know, what else uh, strengths that Goga can bring is he a potential starting center in the NBA along the lines of a Yusuf Nurkic, a guy that coming across, or is he more in the Ante Zizic, uh, if it's a Zubats type of guy coming from that uh, league? I think it's the former. I, I, I like his potential as a starter in the league. I really think that if you bet on guys who are most likely to be NBA starters in this draft, he'd be like in the top three or four. Like he's he's very, very good. You can see an easily roll for him as far as he can be a pick and roll big. He can pick and pop. He's the only big with center size in this class that you really trust their jump shot. Um, he's really improved there. He can even put the ball on the floor a little bit. Like he's pretty coordinated. He can make some reads. He's he's pretty skilled. He's, he's not crazy explosive, but I think he's more fluid and more coordinated than he gets credit for. So you could easily see him fitting into Atlanta's offense as a pick and pop big with Trey Young. They always run that double high. You know, you could see John Collins dive to the rim, Goga pop, and then Trey has two options. So I, I love his offensive fit. You know, maybe the ceiling isn't crazy high unless he's like this awesome shooter. I think he's going to be a very good shooter, though. Just very, very solid on that end. Defensively, it, he's more of a drop big. You're going to hear that a lot. He is more mobile than he gets credit for. Uh, he has improved his athleticism. If you watch him last year compared to this year, I've watched a fair amount of both now. And he has improved his lateral agility. He's more of a guy who's he's pretty good at sliding. But when you get him changing directions, you see this for a lot of bigs. They just can't like hang with hesitation moves with pull-up guys. I don't love his north-south change of direction. So on closeouts, uh, his balance isn't great. So I do think that he has kind of a ceiling as far as his defensive value just because he's mostly going to be a drop guy. So if you come across the pull-up, 
dynamic threats. I think he's going to struggle a little bit, but very good positioning wise. Understands how to stay like within ball and man. For his age, I was really impressed with him in drop coverage there. So he's got the length. He's got the reach to be a, a rim protector. He's pretty physical. Like, he'll get into guys. He'll get into their bodies. That's something like a Jackson Hayes, for example, doesn't really do that well. So there, there is a lot of reason to be intrigued. I think his, maybe his meeting outcome is pretty high. Like, I think that he's a quality starter just because he does a lot of things currently that are valued by the NBA. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Make sure you uh, not hate liking your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. And also by Grip6, ultra lightweight belts with no holes, no flap, a great Father's Day gift. Go to Grip6 for your special offer. That's Grip6, the number 6, dot com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. Both he and Brandon Clark, to me, are two guys that when they get drafted, their fantasy value is going to be higher than their actual draft slot. So they are definitely names to pay attention to, which, of course, after the draft gets done, I go through and give our dynasty rankings on about the top 70 guys. And they will almost definitely be higher in those ranks than their actual draft spot. I'm, uh, I'm telling you that right now. But let's talk about another guy that you're pretty big on, Cole, and that is Grant Williams. Out of Tennessee, a guy whose numbers look fantastic. There are some concerns uh, scout, scouting-wise just in terms of how he's going to fit, how he's going to translate, but the numbers are all there for Grant. But why are you confident that he's going to be able to be a decent impact player in the NBA? Yeah, I just I love betting on guys who are intelligent, and in Grant's case, I love when players are functionally strong. I mean, I think strength is one of the most underrated qualities in the draft, how you can hold up. And Grant's a little undersized. He doesn't have incredible size for a four, but he has really high-level strength, like 93rd percentile strength, I believe, relative to all NBA players. And, like, you already see that functionally on the floor. So I I, I like it from that angle. I love the offensive decision-making. I think he's probably the best short-roll big in the class as far as making decisions. He's one of the best passers in the class. So if you get him in that situation where, let's say he falls to 25 and he gets paired with Damian Lillard and you have to trap Lillard in, in a pick-and-roll and Grant Williams can slip and then he has a four-on-three, I think he can make really high-level decisions. In alignment with what I said about Brandon Clark's touch, I think Grant Williams personifies that as well. Really, all he hasn't done is, is shoot threes consistently as far as college threes. But he, he's even having, he's a much better free throw percentage. He's really improved every year as a shooter. You watch his touch on runners. You watch it on pull-up jump shots where he has that incredibly high release point. I think he has some hidden difficult shot maker upside that he's not getting credit for because he's not the kind of sexy athletic prospect that a lot of guys look for. But I, I love the strength again. I love the IQ. I think his skill level is underrated. It has scoring ability. It just kind of comes down to, again, team fit. There's going to be some situations where he's more of like a stretch four. I like him more as a playmaking four, and usually that's going to happen on a team that can feature more of a dynamic lead ball creator. To me, he, he maybe this is a wrong comparison. I'm not big on player comparisons normally, but I can see a little bit of, of Paul Millsap in, in what he's been able to do. He's got to work a little bit more on some of the other areas, but some decent steal and block rates for him, that, that scoring ability. Uh, maybe a poor man's Paul Millsap is a guy that I, I do liken him to another guy who translates really well in the t- statistical stuff, coming across with that really strong shooting numbers from the field and from the, the line, the three-pointers need to be worked on. But there is quite a bit there with Williams, another older player. And Cole, maybe this is me, but there's a couple of things I'm noticing from this class is that a lot of the big men appear to be undersized. There's you know centers and power forwards who are 6'8", 6'7", sometimes. And a lot of the guys... There's a, a more, more of a, not more of a focus, but a lot of these guys stepping up as older type prospects without that really strong freshman class coming through. Yeah, spot on in both fronts. It's difficult because a lot of the tool, the guys that have tools and like athleticism, positional size, they're just not very good at basketball. And the good basketball players don't have ideal physical measurables. So that's why you see a lot of dissension um, 
with like draft con- Twitter compared to more mainstream is a lot of it is based on I when I, when I have to choose between a good basketball player and a guy who has hypothetical upside based on athleticism when it's not even that functional. I'm always, I'm almost always going to pick the good basketball player, especially when I think someone like Grant Williams, he's more agile than gets credit for as like a space defender. And I think he can actually improve athletically. I think he can trim down a little bit and and still keep that strength level. So that's why I think you see a little bit of a diversion from some of the consensus mock drafts with more mainstream sites. And then some of the other people who are more just looking for guys who have that foundation of you know skill level and iq i tend to agree with you that when we've seen so many of these guys with athleticism it's like i oh, know he's got the athleticism to be a good defender you hear that andrew wiggins and zach levine are two names that come to mind i know they, they're so good athletically they'll become good defenders well it's been four or five years and they haven't so at some point then iq iq and defensive effort has to really be um the thing we're focusing not like oh they can jump high and, and run fast because it's just not translating at this point so getting guys who know how to be in smart positions like a guy like you put joe ingles up against zach levine and make them run a race you know which guy's going to win we also know which guy is going to be the better defender and they're not the same player so having having that understanding of, of where these players fit in is important and another guy i do want to talk well, i've got plenty of guys i want to talk about the next guy i want to talk about is someone i was higher on before this draft season you know began all the 2018-19 season began an international player uh, coming from france seemed to disappoint a little bit but the hype with seku dumbaya did i pronounce that correctly i don't think i've ever heard his name pronounced I think that's right. Okay, Seku Dumbaya, the hype now is really, really ramping up for him. I believe he hit some crazy, like 15 threes in a row at a workout the other day. He's got this, you know, <laughs> really, yeah, <laughs> well, no chair involved, but he's, he hit these shots. Um, yeah, 6'9 wing who shows ability to do multiple things defensively and offensively. I'm getting more and more talked into this guy. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick, and I'm, uh, I'm okay with that. Where do you see uh, Seku you know, translating across? Do you think there is this... And we just talked about you know the worries or the perils of untapped potential, but he seems to be really coming along at this point. Yeah, I've definitely gotten higher on him just because he is a pretty fluid athlete. He's not as explosive as he gets credit for, but I can see the fluidity as far as as an open court guy. You can see the body control with some of his finishes. So I, I like that. And of course, he's really young. That that's his yeah. main allure. Is like he hasn't put it together yet. And a lot of the problems, I think, you can put on bad technique like he's very very bad technical player right now like his closeouts are horrendous uh some of his decision making is just awful and that's kind of what concerns me the most is like some of his reads are so premeditated in like a pick and roll setting he'll just throw the drop off even if it's it was never there in the first place you see a lot of bad reads with him i think his shooting is underrated and i think this is why he's going to go in the top 10 or potentially in that range is because i think like you said it's not just the workout videos with that he had like a, a recent 35 point game hit a bunch of threes his touch is actually not bad like when you watch him shoot, he has a lot of moon balls in the past where he just gets incredibly high arcs. You're like, how real, how realistic is it for this guy to shoot well? But I actually think, you know, he shows touch. When his, when his feet are set off the catch, he can make those shots. My overarching concern with him is like, what exactly is the realizable upside with him? Like, you're gonna hear some Siakam comparisons. I, I think that's really unfair for him yeah, personally. I, I heard that I haven't one seen today. enough. Yeah, so you're going to – the coordination stuff, I can see a little bit of the parallel. He's probably the closest thing to Siakam as far as a guy who can dribble and, like, use length extension to finish. So you get some comparison there, but I I just think that's a really unfair point to make with him just because he is so young. He's got such a long way to go. And for me, like second contract player, that's my biggest reservation with him is I don't think you're getting any value in the first contract. So for a team like 
the Wizards who don't really need that and just want to take a shot at this upside. I could understand the pick for sure. I just don't know exactly what the upside is. Like, I think he's a more fluid athlete than like Alfaro Camino, for example. Like, he can dribble a little bit better. He's a little bit more coordinated. But if that's like a, some kind of realistic ceiling, which is what a lot of people have said, like, I don't know how heavily I'm going to invest in that kind of player when it's, again, probably a second contract player. I did say that he was French. He's uh, actually uh, from Guinea, so he's uh, got dual nationality of, of Guinean and uh, and French. So I, I apologise to you, Seku, for that uh, for that misspeak there with him. But he is he's not doesn't turn nineteen until December, so he is really really young. And yeah, a lot of development there ahead of him. Let's talk about another guy who potentially has some development in him. That's Jackson Hayes, one of the biggest center prospects in this draft. A, a guy that um, really sort of started to come along recently. Really good rim protector, but the other parts of his game, I'm a little bit concerned. You know, can he ever develop any sort of outside shot? Has he got that real feel for the game? Look, where do you view Hayes? I'm not as high on him as others may be. I've gotten lower on him just because we see the playoffs and how far does a rim running center really take you as far as value? You have to be just an incredible defensive player. I don't view Hayes as that. Like he's more developmental that way. His I think his reaction time, his ability to process the game isn't bad. Like it's, it's a solid foundation to work with. Again, I'm just looking at this as he might be a second contract player too as far as getting value back on him. And it's hard to see the shooting upside. Like He does have pretty good touch, I will say that. Like He was like over 80% from the line, I think, in conference play. You see flashes on his – like he never shoots because that's not Texas' system. Basically, all he does is – set a screen dive to the rim every single time and like it doesn't that's why his passing numbers are suppressed like it, we saw that with Bombo we've seen that in the past with like Jarrett Allen types like that's a very specific system that Shaka runs it's basically just like spread pick and roll even though it's not spread he gets absolutely destroyed on tags all the time just because there's no spacing so I, I think he's capable probably a little bit of more than he's gotten to show he's very coordinated like he can even handle a ball in transition a little bit so I, I, I like his athleticism as far as fluidity he's not this dynamic leaper where he's like a capella explosive but he has a huge catch radius just because he was a player you can kind of see that in his game excellent hands but again it just kind of comes down to what is the ultimate ceiling with him if he can't shoot the ball uh, I don't really ever see him being like a dynamic playmaker for others and, and making like high level reads, for example. So someone who would just have to be like a complete game changer for me, like be his size and he's going to get bigger. He's an incredible frame. He's going to be around about to Steven Adams, but he's not nearly that physical. Like he doesn't always box out. His rebounding was terrible for a for a center prospect. I, I, that's my biggest holdup with him is like his physicality and like, can he do enough of the big man things? Is that you know that rebounding? It appears like all these centers coming out of Texas have this rebound issue. Uh, back to Allen and back to Bumba, they don't grab huge amounts of rebound. Is that part of what what Smart is doing there, or is that just hey, all these guys seem to have this flaw in their game? Yeah, I think that's more. This is more of a Hayes issue than it is offensively, where that is a, a scheme issue as far as just diving to the rim every time. That's what I mean. That's what they're going to do in Texas, but. As far as his rebounding, I think this is mostly unique to Hayes. Like, he just didn't show – Bomb was actually a pretty good rebounder. Like, he, he at least showed the ability to go get the ball. Um, wasn't the most physical, but he was definitely above Hayes. Like, Hayes' numbers, if you look at it historically compared to other center prospects, not great. Yeah, he only averaged uh, five rebounds per game in his 23 minutes last season for Texas. Also, yeah, a horrible assist to turnover ratio, 0.28 assists, 0.91 turnovers. That's uh, that's on the wrong side of a three-to-one ratio in the assists, uh, assist to turnover, so some of that decision-making stuff. But his ability to have a high field goal percentage along with a really strong free throw percentage gives him some fantasy value. You add in blocks there. If he's a guy that comes in and even if he plays like a 20-minute role, he can be an impact guy just by having three really strong categories, even though those other areas, as you said, it's going to make it hard 
harder and some of his other limitations harder for him to be a big per minute or big minute sort of a center. He still can have, have an impact in those uh, in those other categories. Let's talk about a guy who did battle injury this season. Cole, that's Romeo Langford from Indiana. Had that wrist issue and, and uh, shot horribly. How much of that do you think was due to that injury that he did have this season? Or was he just a guy yeah, that, that isn't a good shooter and yeah, that's maybe being passed off as a convenient excuse? I think it's a little bit of both. Like Maybe it's more extreme with the injury as far as his shooting results. I think he was a little bit better from the foul line in high school. More of a guy who's better actually shooting off the dribble than off the catch. And I do think mechanically... His shot does have issues. He really keels his wrist back a lot on his shot. You'll see him even hit like the side of the backboard at times on wide open threes. You just don't see good shooters miss that badly. And you can kind of see the inconsistency in his release as far as that goes. There's got to just be a ton of tension in his mechanics. So I do think there's cause for concern there. He does have pretty damn good touch, though. That's the, the one thing I'd bet on with his shot is like he was a great finisher this year. It kind of dived off at the end, but there was a, a time like very well into the season where he was one of the best finishers in all of college basketball. And those aren't dunks. Like He's not an explosive athlete as far as that goes. Like He's mostly finishing through and over the top of guys with touch. So I do think there's some elements to his shooting to bet on. My questions are more like athleticism based. Like, he, is he going to create any kind of separation? Not very deceptive at all with his dribble. Not explosive in and out of his moves. Uh, he can get to his pull up, but that's mostly going to have to come against you know smaller kind of guards where he can just shoot over the top and really overpower you. There's just a lot of athletic limitations here, but I, I do generally agree that the, the shooting there's a lot of variance with him. I think at the beginning of the season we were thinking maybe you know if he could shoot for sure he'd be a top five pick. A lot of people thought that I, I moved off of that for sure. I don't think he's that kind of prospect, but it, there's going to be a lot of shot variance with him. He shot 27% on his threes last season. He also averaged only 2.3 assists at an interestingly high block rate as well, which is something to bear in mind, but the steal rate was quite low. Can he? Is he a lead guard or is he an off-ball guard? To me, he's definitely an off-ball guy. I just don't think he has the athleticism to really slash at a high level. Again, not going to really set guys up and pick and roll and like blow past you to get to the rim and finish over like significant length. I want him more attacking against a bent defense where he's just getting into space more and using his touch. So I, I would be pretty dubious. Like I do think he's a little bit better passer than he gets credit for. Not a great decision maker, but he can function a little bit in pick and roll. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think he does anything well enough on either side of the floor. And defensively, really quick. Uh, on the ball, he's okay. He doesn't have that quick twitch, so he does get beat. Uh, his, the effort level's off the ball, though. Somebody who gets backdoor cut a ton, he loses his man. You see the lapses, and I think that's the most concerning thing for younger prospects is – like the lapses off the ball and just not having that attention span and not showing any kind of improvement there. Like he was, maybe he made some improvement as, as over the course of the season, but it wasn't enough. Like he didn't end the year at the level that he needed to be at as, as an off ball defender. His uh, statistical translation stuff looks pretty poor, and he's going to be one of those guys at the opposite of Bidadze and Brandon Clark, whose uh, I think dynasty ranking is going to be lower than his actual draft spot. I'm, I'm not really high on him as any sort of fantasy prospect with a low assist, steal rate, low threes, poor percentages. All There's a lot of concern there. Maybe it turns around. Maybe the injury was a huge factor, but there is a, a lot of concern. But let's talk about a guy, Cole, who doesn't have really any concern with his shooting, and that is Tyler Harrow out of uh, out of Kentucky, uh, 6'5 guard. Um What's what's his major strength? It's it's shooting, but can you do anything else apart from that, or is he just purely a shooter? 
I think his skill game overall is a little underrated. Doesn't have a, a great first step. His first step is actually pretty poor, so it limits how functional it is. But he does have a workable handle. Not super deceptive with his crossovers, but he can run a pick and roll. He can read the floor. He's a very confident player. Like he's a very confident kid. So you're getting that brought to the table. He has a little bit of burst, but nothing that's really going to blow you out of the water. Kind of depends on how you view him. Do you view him more as like a secondary ball handler, like a combo guard? Do you view him more towards a wing? If you're high on him, you got to kind of buy his ball skills. And I do think there's a foundation to work with. The shooting, like you noted, that's his big skill as far as mainly off the cat shooting, but he can shoot at a really high level on pull-ups, especially in the mid-range. One of the, I think he's probably the best shooter in the class when you chase him off the three-point line. You know, a lot of one-two dribble pull-ups, and I, I know those aren't efficient shots, but he has incredible touch. Like, he might have the best touch in the entire class. He makes some ridiculous floaters. You can just see it in his game, over 90% from the line. That's not an accident. Like, he can really shoot, um, not yet like as a dynamic shooter from NBA range, but I, I think he's going to get there. That That's not a really, that's not a holdup for me. Uh, so th- I do think overall his skill game is a little underrated. So is his IQ. I don't know how great his decision-making is. Again, I, he's kind of wired to be a scorer at younger ages. So he, he's been brought up as more of a scoring type. I'm not sure if he has the athleticism or the high level skill to be that. We talk about these guys, actually just on his free throws, he missed six free throws all year, 87 from 93, which is obviously a ludicrous amount. That's almost 94% from the line. But we see so many of these Kentucky guards that come out and have this really pigeonholed role playing in Kentucky for Calipari. And then they come out and they show other things like Devin Booker, who came out as pretty much a shooter and then has developed into this point guard prospect, Malik Monk, similarly, who was able to run some offense, you know, not well, but he did a little bit of it with the ball in his hands with Charlotte over the last couple of seasons. Is Hero that guy who has been limited by Kentucky's system. Carl Anthony Towns, Trey Lyles, guys who did did limited things in college and then expanded their games when they got to the NBA. Has Hero got that in him at all? I think it's a factor to consider. I'm not sure, again, if it's going to be functional enough at the NBA level to really matter, but I definitely think he's more capable of consistently being, for example, like a pick-and-roll creator in college. Like, he absolutely could have done more. He was used a lot off screens, off the ball, spotting up. Like, if you just ran your offense through him, especially at the college level, I think that it is suppressing some of his abilities there for sure. And we see, like you noted, we see that a lot with the guards, and especially the the off-ball guards types, like even Kellen Johnson, I don't think he can do the same stuff as Hero can as far as reading a defense, but he was used a lot in that Kevin Knox role of just coming off screens on the baseline, um, off floppy sets or doubles. So it's definitely something you have to factor in. And there's a lot of people that are high on Hero because of that potential opportunity. I don't think his jump shot's quite as functional as Devin Booker's, for example, as far as his pull-up game. It's very good, but I don't see him creating that same kind of separation. Not as physical of a player either. The length is a huge problem. 6'3", wingspan. You see that on defense especially contesting shots like he can't stick with guys that well he doesn't mirror the ball well as an on-ball defender so that kind of for me diminishes his value because if you could play him as like your de facto point guard where he's defending those guys and he's playing off of like a Luka or a Giannis for example that's where I think you're going to get the most value I just don't know if he can hang defensively with guys like that is a pretty low assist and steal rate, which is something to factor in as well. But one thing I do want to talk about with him is that you know, we see these shooting specialists in the NBA who come in and take 55, 60% of their shots from three. He only took about 40% of his shots from three in college. Was that a hesitancy from him? Was that Calipari? Was it just a, an oversized load that he had to handle? And you expect that percentage to increase when he's in an NBA environment. I think it's going to increase for sure. I think some of that's a function of role. Um, he is more comfortable right now in the mid-range, though. Like Again, he's very good at that one-two dribble pull-up around those. Like, he'll come off a, a down screen 
And he's very, very comfortable in that area. I think right now his mechanics and like just his strength level are more conducive to mid-range shots and not NBA caliber, you know, distance three, some 28 or 30 feet. Like he can't do it. Cam Johnson can out of North Carolina, which is like run off a floppy set, set midair from NBA range and take like an off balance kind of leaning three. Like he's not that caliber of shooter yet. He's more of a guy who is catch and shoot. If you run him off the line, he becomes really deadly. Who's the, who's the, who's the better shooter, Johnson or Hero? I think this is an example of Johnson's the better off movement shooter. And I think he's always going to be as far as off screens. Um, But hero has more dynamic ability on the ball. So I think you're going to see his pull up shooting more unlocked. And I I think it's a toss up as far as catch and shoots Um, hero has the elite touch, not the proven ability. Cam Johnson shot something like 46% on NBA threes this year. So like he's a, he's a damn good shooter. So it's going to take a little bit for hero to catch up, but he has the ability to off the catch. I would still bet on Johnson though, off movement. Let's talk about a guy who I only found out yesterday that he is uh, he does have a cousin playing in the NBA at the moment, and that's Nikhil Alexander-Walker. His cousin is uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which I wasn't aware of. I'm not sure if they're first cousins or what their relationship is. Alexander-Walker was a guy I thought might actually stay in the draft last year. He went back to school. Um, again, there's a lot of these... We talk about these undersized big men, you know, six eight centers, but there's a lot of these guys who sort of are point guards but aren't really point guards, and I have Alexander-Walker in that sort of an area. Can he be a primary ball handler? I don't think so. It's mostly, again, for the athleticism concerns. Not the same as Romeo Langford, but both these guys lack the ability to separate and really create that ability just because, I mean, Nikhil, has a, he's got a, a good handle. He's very, very skilled. He, he's an incredibly smart player, and he's skilled. And it's, it's just a, the inability to unlock that with a, a total lack of a first step doesn't change directions in dynamic fashion, doesn't have that burst. So when he gets into the lane, he has to rely on a lot of craft finishes. He's ambidextrous, so he can finish left or right. Really helps him overall in this game as a passer as well. But can he really get to the basket and finish against better athletes? I have pretty big reservations on that. His frame isn't great. Um, he has some size, but he doesn't play like he's six six or six five and a half, whatever he's listed at. He plays more like he's six four in, in certain capacities. Like he is physical at times. You will battle guys in the post on defense. But I think from like a, a power standpoint, just with his frame, it's really lacking. So he he's a little bit undersized how he functions on the floor. So for me, it's like the skills there. I, I think the shot is a little weird as far as his release point, not the quickest release, but he even shows the ability to actually shoot over the top of guys. Like he would give DeAndre Hunter like a step back jumper. DeAndre Hunter, of course, is probably the best technical wing defender in the class with a 7-2 wingspan. Nikhil showed enough ability to shoot over the top. I just don't really buy the overall package as far as, you know, I don't buy him as a lead guard. If he defends wings, I I'd be too small just with his lack of frame. It's just a case of a very smart player with a very high skill level. If he went back to college again, he'd be one of the best players in college basketball. I just don't really buy him as an NBA player, at least having an impact. Comparing his freshman season to his sophomore season, he almost uh, tripled his uh, his assist numbers and doubled over doubled his steal numbers, which um, are really interesting in terms of t- statistical translations. But they just weren't there in that first season, so that, that's that's an interesting thing to me just to see those numbers, which makes him translate okay. The shooting numbers were thirty eight percent across his career from three in college as well, but there are you know, limitations to what he is able to do. Let's talk about a guy whose numbers really really jump off the page, Cole, and that is Matisse Thibel from Washington with just insane like steel numbers and how much of that is a factor with the Washington defense the zone defense because he was averaging what four steals a game 
or something absolutely bananas yeah. uh, during his time in Washington. He blocked shots. He actually shot yeah, 3.5 steals, 2.3 blocks. He shot 85% from the line. Um, his three-pointers weren't great, but in his previous season, he'd been a 36 or 37% three-point shooter. So all these stats look fantastic, but how much of that is just what Washington's running zone defense-wise, or is he that good of a defender? I think, again, it's a little bit of both. Like Washington's scheme definitely favors him. He's incredibly good in the zone as far as taking away that middle entry pass to the high post. He just he kills that play. Like teams keep trying to make the pass, and he's incredibly good at deflecting that. And, you know, he's probably one of the best zone defenders I've ever seen as far as at the top. He just takes away the high-value opportunities. He's so good as far as instinctually from behind. Like he recovers incredibly well, blocks a ton of shots from behind. Some of that's definitely feel. Like he does have great off-ball feel as far as – creating events you just don't get these kinds of numbers if you don't have that i don't care if you are a proficient zone defender most zone defenders don't do this and i think there's a reason for that his instincts are crazy uh he utilizes his length so well both contesting shots from behind again challenging shots swiping at balls it, it's just, he has a total package as far as i think being an off-ball defensive player like and i think that the whole zone concept is getting a little overplayed like he has played man in the past he's gotten better defensively if you watch his individual tape like he's pretty damn quick he's a better athlete than he has credit for like i think he can contain the ball um pretty well honestly and then i love him off the ball as a defender on the weak side a lot of the nba now are zone principles anyway off the ball so i think that you know thibault can close out that length he can really cover ground there's going to be a lot of allure there it's with me and and this is kind of obvious it's all about the shooting variance can he make a catch and shoot three we're not going to see much off motion from him as far as coming off a screen i don't think he has that really in his game uh and the shooting numbers aren't terrible holistically if you look all four years he has softer touch it's not like charles matthews for michigan who's an awesome defensive player but has more of a harder shot, and it's harder to buy him because there's really nothing in his profile that suggests he can shoot. Thibault just gives you enough to where I, I think it's possible. Um, it, he's not going to be much of a creator. He's just not wired. He, he plays hot potato with the ball. Like He's very much get it out of my hands right when I get it. He's not played with good point guards outside of Markel Fultz, and that was kind of a train wreck team. But this past year, David Crisp, uh, not a point guard. Jalen Noel passes a little bit better than he gets credit for, but still not a point guard. So he's going to get higher value opportunities, better looks, but not someone who is aggressively wired to score. Like when he catches the ball in an advantage situation, his first instinct is to either just shoot the ball immediately or pass. Like he's not going to put the ball on the floor and really attack at a high level. So I wouldn't expect him to run pick and roll, even though I think his feel and his decision making is underrated, as is his handle. But I just don't know if he has the aggressive nature and kind of that instinct to really apply that to the floor. Over his college career, he shot 36% from three on over 500 attempts and 78% from the line on over 200 attempts. So it's, it's a decent enough sample size, even though there is some variance from, from season to season, especially with the free throws where he went 71, 84, 71, and then 85. So, you know, in terms of what he was getting there was uh, anybody's guess. In terms of as a defensive type wing player, we have an example of that in the league, like an Andre Robertson who just does nothing offensively. Where does Thibault's offense fit in terms of how uh, Robertson works in an NBA offense? Yeah, I think Thibault's a much better bet to shoot. He's just shown a lot more than Roberson. Roberson, you can use as the screener too. Like we've seen Oklahoma City do that in the past where he kind of plays the five role. Thibault's not he's not a good enough playmaker and he's not big enough or strong enough to really do that. So he's more of like a pure wing type where you can't diversify. If he's, if he's a complete non-shooter, which I don't think he is, but if he ends up being that it's going to be pretty hard to utilize him on the floor because he's not as good defensively as Roberson, especially on the ball. Roberson is just another caliber of like strength and he's, he's a better athlete even than Thibault is. So there's not as much ability to, you know, 
transcend your game and be different. Like I think what you're getting with Thibel is kind of what he's shown. I don't think there's a lot of untapped upside. But I do think there's reason to actually buy his shot off the catch, and that's kind of the allure. The other uh, word with uh, with Thibel coming out is that he has received a draft promise, and the rumors seem to be that it is the Philadelphia 76ers, whether that's at the start of the second round or at their first round selection at, at pick 24. Have you heard similar things to that? Yeah, we've heard anywhere from 21 to 30, 21 being Oklahoma City. I've heard that's actually not the case, but 30 to the Bucks could also be in play. So it's a lot of teams that already have their primary infrastructure in place and are just looking for wing depth and, and someone who can really cover ground. Like the Bucks love that from their wings as far as closeouts, applying back pressure. Those are things that Thibel does as well as anybody in the class. He's always, he's going to be a name to watch for fantasy, just depending on what role he goes into because of that block and steal rate and being a solid free throw shooter. If he can hit threes along with that, there is real value in those low volume categories where he could come in and be like a 1.9 steals guy, similar to what Tony Allen's been in the past, a non-factor offensively, but you can use him in fantasy because he comes in and can get four steals or what Corey Brewer's done in the past and having you know, multiple games in a week of five steals. And maybe Thibault could be that guy, even if you've got 20 minutes. So he's always a name to watch just for that uh, particular reason. Let's head back to Europe now, Kyle. Uh, Luka Samanich um, came across and I think impressed a lot of people over at the combine where people were maybe a little bit down on him or worried about some of his strength. Is he that typical 6'11 European big man who you know, gets criticized for being soft that maybe it's not quite as accurate as what it should be? That's certainly what it looked like at the combine. I had not seen a ton of film prior to the combine. I was really impressed with him in that game. I thought that from a strength standpoint, he really played with the physical edge. Like he was ducking in on guys that were bigger than him and really applying that athleticism and that strength level. And I, I know he's put on some girth, and, and that's huge for him because he was not that kind of body type before. If he can put that on and then have the agility that he still showed. Um, as far as containing guys in space, I, I think there's some allure there. You get some, a lot of the Rodion's Karuk's comparisons, and I think you can kind of see the overlap a little bit. Samanich is better with the ball than he gets credit for as far as like his first step, his ability to dip low and kind of his burst in those settings. That's what stood out to me the most about Karuk's when I saw him was that that, that athleticism was just – it kind of took me back a little bit. He's a better functional athlete than I gave him credit for. So he's a guy that can pick and pop. You can shoot the ball, space off the ball. I'm not sure if he's an elite shooter or like even a sub-elite shooter, but I think he's going to be capable. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. His handling ability was actually, again, really impressive at the combine. Had some open court you know, crossovers. Beat, I can't remember who he beat in space, but it was a really, it was a legit move from a six nine six ten guy. So there's some, he's someone who's probably going to go in the first round now, just after that performance. Honestly, especially in this class, I haven't, I don't have a good enough feel about his feel for the game. I have not seen him play make at a high level. That's something that he just was not very comfortable with. Even at the combine, like he wasn't making quick decisions defensively. I don't see the off ball team defender. And I'm really looking for that guy as, you know, a four in the NBA. I don't think he's big enough to play the five. But if he can shoot, of course, his most natural position is going to be at the four. I don't mind him in the range of where he's going to go like late 20s. I think there's some intrigue there as kind of like a, I guess, a stretch big who can switch a little bit um, and put the ball on the floor. Last guy we're going to talk about here, and uh, a player that, that many people would uh, would know about for some of his exploits, especially in the tournament. That's Carson Edwards out of uh, out of Purdue with that, that shooting ability. His size is a is a concern to me. Um, do you think that he's got that frame to be able to be an impact scorer, maybe in a, in a sixth man type role, or is it just going to be really limiting as to what he can do? Yeah, it's a great question. I do. He's built like a running back. I mean, his physical build. He's very stocky. Um, he's got really thick legs, so I, I do think there's some intrigue as far as how he's built. Um, and again, I really value strength in, in the draft and 
from prospects in general as far as projecting them. I, I think that's really important, especially for smaller players. So he has some length, too. I think he's got like a 6'6 six, six wingspan, 6'5 six, wingspan. So he might be capable of defending one position. That helps him a little bit in the process, even though he's not the, the best defensive player. But I think a lot of that's role. Like his, his usage, his third year, his junior year is just insane. But he's allowed to function more within the scheme of the offense. I think that's where you want him. To me, he's like a transition point guard where he can shoot that 30-foot pull-up and really apply pressure to defenses. He's got this incredible rise on his shot with a high release point. And that's two things you don't normally see in conjunction with these kinds of players. So that, that's his ideal function is like right when he crosses half court, you're worried about his pull-up ability. But then I like him more off the ball. I like him running off screens where he's very adept. Uh, I like him spacing it on catch and shoots. I think if you try to play him in like a Damian Lillard role, he's not that kind of athlete. He's not the bounciest guy in traffic. You see the finishing struggles with him. I was kind of surprised by his combine testing. Honestly, both years, he was a little bit underwhelming. He's like 50th percentile for, you know, lead guards. And you watch him play. He has some two foot bounce in space. Like he can actually elevate and like dunk with his left. And he looks like a better athlete on the floor at times. But then you start watching all of his finishing tape and you're like, how is this guy really going to finish like a round or through NBA length, athleticism, size? So, I, again, I like him more in like a Utah Jazz type system where he, he can play within a motion offense, kind of be this tertiary ball handler at times and really utilize his shooting gravity. I, I don't want him in like a 1-5 pick and roll where he has to make a bunch of decisions because he's not a natural point guard. He's not someone who has high-level floor vision, high-level anticipation as a passer. So th- there are definitely fits in this class. Even the Pistons, for example, like playing off Blake Griffin, who – Serves is basically their point guard. That would actually be somewhat alluring, even though I think that's a little bit high. In terms of his uh, his shooting, okay, below average true shooting percentage this season, fifty four percent. How much of that is a factor of the, as you referenced earlier, the insane usage, thirty seven percent usage? I liken it to a guy uh, in the NBA. He's not the same player as this guy, of course, but Kemba Walker back in his early days struggled to shoot even forty percent from the floor because he was the only guy. He was taking all these last, you know, late set, late uh, late shot clock type heaves, and it was really dropping his percentage. And when guys like uh, Nick Batum came across and gave them that second option, just as another another player there we saw Kemba's percentages start to rise. How much of this really low efficiency from him this season, where he shot under 40% from the field, is just a factor of having to take those, take every shot basically when he's on the court? I think a good amount. I think this is one of the ones I feel better about as far as it being a situation. We saw him, he was more efficient his sophomore year when he had to do less. This year it was just, he was the entirety of the offense. Like Ryan Klein would have offense, but mostly it was Edwards that was getting all of the gravity from the defense. Like he was guy that was getting doubled, triple teamed, uh, defenses were loading up on him. So I I do think he's going to be more efficient when he gets better looks. Some of it is shot selection, though. He does not have the best shot selection. He he will take some head scratching shots that, again, can be attributed some to role in the fact that he was basically required to do all of this self-creation, all of the shooting. But I do think it speaks at least in part to his lack of feel for what's a good shot at times and what's not. All right, so that, that'll wrap it up for this uh, this episode of my draft preview. Cole, uh, you can find Cole on Twitter at Cole Zwicker. Cole, thanks for jumping on the show and uh, talking about this uh, bunch of prospects with me. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's always fun. I, uh, I can't wait for the draft next week.
And that'll do it for today's show. Uh, looking at, at the NBA draft, a bunch of prospects there. We're going to be doing more NBA draft stuff this week, hopefully getting a mock draft going on tomorrow's show. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast and doing that by using the Himalaya podcast app. It's free. It's super easy to use. So go download that app and follow Locked On Fantasy Basketball over there. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and the network at Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Subscribe, five-star ratings, YouTube, thumbs up, all that great stuff. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. RJ Barrett.